You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? Matt McGacky here on Vox and Hops, Episode 5. Today, I am with my longtime friend, Paula Blaze. Uh, I've known Paul for a very long time. I met him back in the day when I started playing shows with Three Mile Scream in Montreal. He was uh, growing up uh, playing in a band called Endast, and we were both a part of the same circle. We hung out numerous, numerous times. We spent many a late night at Fofon Electric when we used to all go there with the big metal boys on Friday nights. Many, many a fond memory there. So come on. Grab a pint, sit back, and listen to me and Paul talk about how he discovered metal music in a Christian youth group, his life with an identical twin brother, because Paul has a twin brother, his quest to enhance his vocals through different vocal mentors, and why he thinks that his band, Blackguard, is now on semi-permanent hiatus. So check it all out. Here it is, Vox and Hops, episode number five. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, how's it going? I'm here with Paul LaBlaze, longtime friend. Welcome to the Vox and Hops podcast. So what's been going on with you? Oh, my God. Um, the last, uh, well, I mean, specifically musically, holy crap, like the last little bit has been um, a lot of focus on my uh i have a newer death metal band that i've been working on the last couple of years and i've been kind of like hopping in and out of a couple of other projects uh un- unfortunately when i say hopping in and out i wish i could have stuck around for a little bit longer but uh, i mean i did i was with uh crimson shadows for a little bit and uh uh, unfortunately, that's not really the case anymore. Um, you know, I thought I could kind of pull off the um, doing shows with them, being in Montreal and them in Toronto. But um, things after a little while just got like a little bit too, I want to say inconvenient. But like, you know, things weren't really moving forward at any kind of like uh, decent pace. And, for, and like this is nothing against the guys. It's just just where the band is in general. Like, um, you know, like, all right, the everybody's lives are you know or the band was taking a back seat to everybody else's lives and you know including myself where like i'm busy at home doing a lot of other things so it's hard for even me to have dedicated more time to that band so it was kind of like all right well it was just better that to sort of kind of uh step away from it let's say so there i i know there hasn't really been like an official announcement of that necessarily but like they're uh like i i still talk to Corey. like Corey's like one of my best friends still so like shout, the drummer, shout out to Corey. Shout, Shout out, out to the rest of the boys. Yeah. Crimson Shadows. I was extremely excited when it was announced that you were going to be a part of that because uh, I thought you were just such a perfect fit. But as you're explaining, I see how it ended. But I, that's it. Like, I absolutely adored the time that I was kind of with them. And it was just becoming too much of a pain in the ass to, like, to, well, it was mostly because we were doing shows at really inopportune times because we weren't, you know, we're not touring. You know, we weren't doing, we weren't, weren't full-time touring. And, like, it's, oddly enough, it's kind of easier to to, to go on tour sometimes you know when you're saying okay everything else goes on on pause this is the new focus rather than trying to sh- you know try to shove something else into an already full-time schedule of life you know what i mean <laughs> one-off gigs are the hardest things to accomplish I, it's so much work all we were doing was one-off gigs so it's like all right if it was during the middle of the week then like uh, if it was on a wednesday i'd have to leave on a tuesday 
go like try to get at least one you know full band rehearsal in and then play on Wednesday and then I'd leave on and then I'd leave on Thursday so that's three days in the middle of the week that I have to take off which is not the easiest thing when you have a full-time job (laughs) for one gig for one for one gig and one gig that might not even be that worth it I mean luckily we we did play some like really great shows with them and um but yeah it was just those kind of things were just too much of a pain in the ass and uh um also like the how i feel like i've also changed you know my um uh my let's say my my musical goals in general have changed since when i first joined the band um to now is that you know when i first got in there that was kind of like more fresh off of um blackguard starting its hiatus you know and i uh, you know, I still had that that will and that drive to want to go out and go do and go do tours again. And then when tours didn't really start materializing, um, and then I kind of settled into the, like the, the home life, I guess. Then like I sort of, you know, I sort of realized that I didn't necessarily want a full time tour anymore either. You know, anyway. So it's like, you know, I kind of got myself into a, a situation in, in the middle of a transition period. So like, you know, unfortunately the other end of that transition period was, you know, realizing that like, okay, well, you know, if um, the best case scenario for the band, you know, like new record, full-time touring the whole nine, uh, I don't know if I would have been able to have like, maybe I, I might've fucked off like after like a couple of months <laughs> of that. Man. And I don't want, and I definitely don't want to be that guy. You know, I don't want to leave my boys high and dry, uh, especially when things start to pick up so i feel like sort of stepping away when i did you know when there was like the least at stake was probably the best for everybody you know and uh the guys are mobilizing right now and uh they're talking with new singers and um you know uh, i was talking with Corey about it the other day and uh, you know they they have some guy in the wings that like looks like might be a part of the band and uh if they get this certain individual it's going to be really freaking cool what they're going to be doing so so i'm, I'm very excited you're saying a death metal band yeah so um the last couple of years i've been working on this death metal project called ages with um xavier Salarin. so he's the old bass player for ion dissonance so he plays guitar in this and he's uh the, one of the principal songwriters and uh alongside our guitar our, our bass player uh alex Schubert. um and we also have tommy mckinnon from x like a million freaking bands in montreal but most notably i suppose from uh, uh a curian and from naraxis so he's been playing drums for us for the last like year and a half and now we have alex berube who is in terror who's in terror mobile and unhuman and a bunch of other like crazy montreal bands that everybody should if you if, if every, everybody listening to this should know those bands because they're fucking fantastic so he's more or less recently joined our ranks too and it's like you know we haven't we've been very quiet online because we've been finishing up uh writing some songs and tommy uh, tommy works with the the military so like he's kind of out of town like for like very large stretches of time so he was gone for like the majority like pretty much the entire summer and he's just getting back now um so he's gonna start uh, doing some drum tracks uh in the next couple weeks i believe uh and so we have like five uh, five new songs that are done and i'm like i and i am so absolutely stoked on like the material and like the vibe of this band and uh we only did it kind of sucks that like things have been going sort of slow we, we've like ages have been has you know technically been around for a couple years now but we've literally only done like one show <laughs> and we keep having like it's like the it's 
we keep having like member problems like we've already been through like three guitar players and like two or three drummers and it's just like oh my god like whenever things start to like pick up and like we start developing like a good uh you know getting a good momentum something always happens is and, this and something that's tied more to because you're older in your lives that is having a band that almost certainly uh is is, is a factor to it I, like i i find that like these days and i see it with other bands too and especially like old like you know with uh as we're all like you know our our, our crew let's say like we're getting into our late 20s and our early 30s or our mid 30s or early 40s for some of us it's like okay you know what like yeah life uh you know life has to take the front seat and like the band you know being in a being a musician uh has to take has to you know sometimes be put aside for uh you know a lot of the other responsibilities that you have so um you know like with ages you know like we would go like we would have like a couple of weeks and months of like really really great writing sessions and developing music and then uh you know we would i don't know take like a week off or something like that and then it would be hard to kind of like get back into that groove you know or um more recently and like we did all this we we pretty much finished like the principal writing and then tommy took off you know so then it was like okay well we don't have now we don't have a drummer so we spent a lot of time uh we still spent time like doing a couple of rehearsals in the jam room with like basically like the drum tracks you know and like even like just like the program drums in the pa system you know just to kind of like keep us you know warmed up and make sure we're not getting cold but at the same time like you know we weren't doing it as consistently as we probably could have you know we like everything got a little more lax and like all right you know it's but now that now that tommy's back in town it's like all right guys let's go let's get the cp out because we've been sitting on some of these songs for like uh more granted more unrefined versions of them but now that like with um matt coming in and like helping with some of the songwriting he's been adding like all these insane layers uh to the music so now like you know what the songs used to sound like don't sound like they don't sound anything close to what they were before you know it's like appreciating how skeletal the original the the the, those demos were compared to what they are now you know it's like it's very night and day and it's just just some like brutally amazing stuff like i'm super happy about it and it's like it's very um uh it's it's a very weird mix i mean we we've already released some we've released some older songs we have like three or four songs that are out now uh on youtube if you want to check them out so we have like a song called highness nemesis with um mark jensen from epica and uh mayan who did some guest vocals and we've got uh we got a couple of songs uh so we got a couple songs on youtube that's it on youtube ages on youtube so there's a couple the, the couple songs out there it's like the music itself is not i don't find it's like it's not very it's not straightforward death metal and the songwriting's not it's uh it's got like i let's say you could say like a progressive element to it um without being um you know prog necessarily nobody would call us a prog band but we just have like you know odd we have odd song structures you know and we we're not like a super technical death metal band, which is what a lot of people, you know, present company included, but you guys are the originators of <laughs> one of the originators of technical death metal. So you guys have a past, but like I, you know, in the last, you know, God knows decade or so, or so like, I just feel like it's like band after band are just coming out trying to be like the fastest and the most technical and how many notes can we cram into this bar? And, and I feel like we're sort of, uh, we have small bursts of that, but at the same time, it's very uh, chromatic. So very chromagnum. You know, at the same time, we have a lot of breakdowns without it being too core. And this, the way that uh, 
Alex and uh, Xavier write like they write um, using a lot of very odd chords, a lot of odd dissonant chords. So it has kind of like a black metal-y feel to it. It's, it's got a black metal vibe to it without being black metal. And it's got technical death metal without being we're not a technical death metal band, you know, and it's got breakdowns, but we're not a core band. So, you know, it's very beautifully, beautifully vague description of what we're doing. <laughs> it's got, it's got a little bit of something for it's everyone. Got, it's got a fla- it's got its flavors that works that the the all these different flavors from different genres that I find works. It works flawlessly together, you know, and it, it took us a while to kind of like get the songs to that point. But the the, the result, I, I can't be. When, when when it's actually done and finished, you know, like, but the demo so far, like in the pre-production that we have done is like, I couldn't be happier with it right now. So I am ecstatic to like get in the studio and actually like go record it for real. And I, I mean, ideally I'd love to have it out by the end of the year, which would be fantastic. And we'll, we'll see if that happens, but uh, yeah, we'll see what's realistic, you know, depending on everybody's schedules. Hey, cheers. Vox and Hops, first beer. I only brought one beer tonight. This is the Sour Citra from Les Trois Muscatailles. It has a 3.91 out of 5 untapped rating. It's a 5.2 percentage beer, 12 IBU, and it's from their All City. It's a generously dry hop sour ale with fruity flavors. Okay. Cheers. cheers. Ooh, yeah, sour. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, grapefruit juice. Yes, that's it. Actually, with but like hoppy too, because it's a um, citra hops, dry hopped. Uh, Les Trois Muscatailles is uh, from Saint Eustache originally, and it got there in two thousand and four, and then it relocated in two thousand eleven to Brassard. Uh, it's a brewery that I like very much, and it's uh, one that I wanted to try. So I wanted to bring it and share it with you. Thank you. If you had to describe this beer as a person, <laughs> who would this be? Could be a girl. Could oh be, for, for my me, god! For me, I feel a strong like female vibe on this. Um, shit. The 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 chick that plays Black Widow in the the Avengers movie. What's her name? Scarlett Johansson. There you go. There we go. The Scarlett, Scarlett Johansson. Johansson. I like it. Cheers. Cheers to that. It's really good. <laughs> There's like not much smell to it though. Mm, I kind of missed the boat on when uh, beer culture really started to take off a couple years ago. Like, <laughs> like I feel like I have so many friends that like went full hog into it, and you know the way that you and like obviously you and the guys like Danny and uh, uh, my ex guitar player Louie, they could talk about beer. Like it's like oh wow, like there's clearly like way more layers to uh, understanding and appreciating beer than you know than what I know, you know, <laughs> like I have, I have very simple tastes and then like, man, just like the explosion of uh, microbreweries around Montreal and well, it's not only it's, around Montreal, but insane. everywhere internationally. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. Do you remember what your first experience with beer was? Um, probably when I was, I don't know, like eight or nine or something like that. Like, I think my, uh, my, my dad used to give me little sips of beer when I was like really young. <laughs> Actually, my mom told me a, a really funny story is that like, so my, um, my, my dad used to give me like some like very small sips of beer when I was young. And, um, apparently I have zero recollection of this because I was probably like, I don't know, like six or seven or something like that when this happened. But, uh, apparently like my dad had some friends over and they were out in the back porch and they were, sm- they were smoking cigars and, and drinking beer. And then I think either later on that night or the day after, like I went into our garage and, uh, I found the beer bottles that were there. And I like apparently I picked one up and tried to like drink beer out of it, but there was like cigar ash. Oh, 
That'll mark you. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the first time that happened and definitely not the last. <laughs> like, remember, That's nothing worse than that. I was in... Uh, I was at the new the New Jersey Hardcore Metal Fest. I think there was only one of these. It was like like this is like back when you could still smoke in hotel rooms, and we got like a smoking hotel, we got a smoking room. Oh man, it was the greatest thing. And I remember like I had two two coarse king cans on my like I was lying down in bed. I had two coarse king cans like on my let's say on my lap. One was full, one was empty, and I was like, all right, that one's like that one's the ashtray, that one's the real beer. And like literally, I took like my first like couple puffs of my cigarette and I ashed it right in the fresh. Ah. Ah, it's a waste. What a, what a goddamn shame. Well, except it was a Coors Light, so it's acceptable. It was just it's a shitty it, Coors what Light. It's what it deserved. Exactly. In this day and age, I'll get you uh, five to ten. <laughs> do you have any... Are, so you're not into the craft mindset of beers, but do you have like a, have a, a craft have, beer that you do appreciate, that you've tried, <laughs> that you would go back and buy again? Oh, I'm trying to think. Man, you know what? I used to know some of the brands back when um, Ali, when I was on tour... Because like Louis, our, our uh, uh, the ex lead guitar player for Blackguard, like he was a beer, a beery. Uh, what do you call a beer guy? A hophead. Let's a say. hophead. He was yeah. a hophead. Oh, you know what? Dog, what was it? Dogfish ale. But I, I, does that count as a micro? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, yeah. As a it's micro big brew? now at this yeah, point. That's in the it. But it's still it's still a solid one that I'll still drink. Dogfish head. Dogfish yeah. head. Yeah. That's it. Like that was really good. You know, and like the some of the pumpkin ales around the fall, like pumpkin was really like I, I love I love the pumpkin ales. Like those are fucking fantastic and like I, I used to love when we were on tour around the fall and when they used to all come out and there was also like there was a banana beer that I really really liked that I remember like I could I, from the label I could pick out if I was at like a beer store it was like a, a white beer but it tasted and smelled like bananas no it wasn't a, I don't think it was a white beer because I don't like white beers all that much. Because there's Heffenweizens, which have like a, a strong like banana-y mm. essence like to it. Sco- oh, Scotch ales. I really there like Scotch ales. So you're all over the board, what you like. Oh, yeah. No, you're, just a, you're a hophead in waiting. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I feel like if I... Um if I dedicated myself to the to the craft, to the hop, if you will, then like I feel like I could learn a lot and not in uh, in a short amount of time, and I could uh, I don't know I'm just not putting the effort into you know learning my shit I guess <laughs> like your, but your, like when your, it, your BMI is thanking you yeah yeah that's for everyone that doesn't know Paul Paul's in very good shape so Thank you. beer beer does not help the shape I in the last couple yeah in the last couple months like a in the last three months i've only had casual drinks in one of those months i've like not i didn't drink all of i think it was may may i took completely off of drinking which was really weird and like i'd, I'd never really done before and then uh, i did it again in like june and i yeah may i drank in april and i didn't drink in june almost at all leading up into july yeah. it's amazing it's pure discipline i'd have a hard time doing that person. man like i mean you you people at home listening you can't see it but i'm holding like a can of club soda you know and like that this has basically been saving my life uh it's just carbon just carbonated water that's it you know it's like it's it's flavorless but at the same time like the 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 bubbles are satiating enough to make you think that you're having you know a uh you know a, a a more lively carbonated beverage but no it's just water that's it and um there's something about like it, it's satisfying just holding a can uh, and drinking something carbonated that's like okay that kind of fills the void of not you know of not having a beer or better than nothing you know better than plain water let's put it it's that true way. it's true I, I definitely go for my Perrier's or my bubbly water Perrier, Perrier's got strong fucking game like when they uh, when they have like their the grapefruit and the orange flavored ones too man those are so fucking good I go for like a, just a slice of lime at home though oh yeah yeah, yeah right tell me about your early life you growing up as a kid 
What were you like? Um, very athletic. Uh, yeah. No, I was... Um, when I was younger, I pretty much played sports like all the time, like all through my, my childhood. Like it's just memories of sports and 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 sports. So like I played baseball, I played soccer, I played hockey, I guess was the sport that I um, most excelled at, even though I didn't really excel at it all that much. Uh, but, you know, like I, I started playing double letter hockey at one point or another and I, I stuck with that friend. I was playing double letter hockey for a couple years before I just got really sick of it and Oddly enough, it was right around the time I started smoking, and then, <laughs> and then it just became less fun and like coughing and wheezing on the ice all the time. It was just like, fuck this noise. You know, and I was an avid skier when I was younger, too. Like, yeah, and before, like, and, and before I got into, ho- before I was playing hockey more or less, comp- like, uh, more competitively, I was snowboarding and skiing. So, uh, Frig, man, if only I had kind of watched my diet when I was young, I would have been like, like fucking ripped up through like all my 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 younger formative years but uh man i don't know shitty food and beer caught up to me like real fast how close was that tied to you finding the music scene oh the music scene uh the music scene for me started um like did it did it your your athletic self collide with your musician self yes in 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 a way it did there was the the connection is like so one of my uh, one of my best friends uh, is this gentleman named Kevin Glazer, and he played in a punk band in Montreal called uh, Tainted Youth. And like, so when, um, so when I was growing, so like I was, I played many years of hockey with with Kevin, and he was like, you know, when he to this day still one of my best friends. Uh, so when we were playing hockey together and then we you know became buds and we were hanging out all the time together like he was the one that in, that initially introduced me to uh punk rock and like the and sort of like the 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 uh, like metal ish like i'm not saying like i'm not gonna say metal but like metal ish bands so like guar was one of the first band was one one of the bands that uh, kev introduced me to so you know anybody if you listen to some of the old guar records it's like yeah like it's a lot of tongue-in-cheek theatrical like punk but at the same time like they still had some th- like they had some faster and thrashier riffs so that was kind of like my sort of introduction to some heavier music and then when i was in grade um was it like grade seven and eight or something like that and uh, i went to high school with uh the the guitar well the now ex-guitar players of uh blessed by broken heart you know then like they went on to do you know some cool shit like back in the day but my my music was basically influenced by my buddy kevin who was showing me all the punk stuff and then my buddy robbie uh and simon who were introducing me to you know, at first it was kind of new, like it was like the, 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 when new metal started getting really big. So it was like the first corn records, the four, the first uh, couple of biscuit records, even though I didn't really like limb, I limb never really hit it off for me, but corn was huge. And then from there, uh, you know, our, I, I like, like Robbie was very avid, uh, like an avid music consumer. So he was always finding new bands and then telling us about it. So like, that's when I started finding out a lot about like more underground bands uh, like Zeo and Under Oath uh, back in the day, and like Norma Jean when they were first starting out. Uh, a lot of it was censored. It was centered into the Christian scene because we actually like um, we were all kind of like at one point or another. We were a lot of us were born again Christians. Not definitely not anymore. But I, I have this memory of dropping you off, and your house was next to a church. Is that possible? You, you know, that's definitely 
Yeah, that definitely happened. My yeah, my house was next to a church, but like I never went to that. Okay. Enough, okay. I never went to that church. Okay. <laughs> no, but the, yeah, we want like when I was younger, I wound up hanging out at um, at, a, at a Christian drop-in center, and then uh, they very slowly poisoned my mind. But they were, they were <laughs> I mean, very they were very nice people With that good had intentions. All the, I'm sure they, they had the they actually had the best intentions. You know, it's like and I have I have very little love for organized the uh, you know it's quote unquote organized religion and Christianity as. Um, uh, as an organization, let's say, but I still have all the love and admiration for those the the, the people that I had surrounded myself with within that community because uh, they were still incredibly genuine people. You know, they didn't espouse any kind of like uh, uh, you know any hatred towards you know gay people and like all, all the stuff you would typically hate Christians for. That that the community that I was a part of really didn't exhibit any of those sort of elements so i mean i grew out of you know the christianity you know my own little my own way over time and especially the when you know when i started touring and like it's like oh my god like you know like i just sort of uh so you guys are all in a in a, in a born again christian youth club yeah yeah, that's one way. We we hung out at a draw. Yeah, we hung out at a, at a at a Christian drop-in center, and a lot of us. And there was a, a core of us, I suppose, that became that became Christian. So I was Christian, and Robbie was a Christian. What did you grow up as? I suppose Catholic. When I was really like when I was. Uh, but the thing is, like, you know, when when you're really young, you know, your parent. Like, I mean, my parents took us to Catholic church, but then they stopped after. You know, I don't know, like maybe when I was like nine or ten, they stopped taking us to church. Uh, because I also like my grandfather's like turbo, my grandfather's turbo fucking Catholic. So I'm pretty sure he was like, you know, my dad just wanted to appease my grandfather to a certain degree and was just took us to, took us to Catholic church for the first couple of years. And then, uh, yeah, I, fuck, I, don't, I don't even remember the exact age, but we stopped going. And then years after, you know, when I was in my mid, you know, my early teens was when I started hanging out at the Christian drop in center. Just because, you know, I think we had a bud that, you know, we had, we had a friend that we went to high school with that, um, who was part of like a very like hardcore Christian family. And he, he introduced us to this drop-in center. It was called the vault. And he's just like, yo, come hang out with us. Come hang out the vault. And it was a great place to hang out. You know, it's like, it's not like they, nobody was, you know, Bible bashing you while you were there. But if you ever wanted to talk about religion, they'd like the, the staff would be very open to it. And then the closer we got to all the, 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 the people and it became more of a family than, you know, you just, you know, I kind of fell, fell into it. You know, I felt, the, I felt the loving touch of God <laughs> and I felt like, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So it was nice. It was good. It was an interesting point in time, uh, period of my life. But there were a lot of really, really great Christian bands, which was awesome. So fans like Extol and Zao and Living Sacrifice and, you know, Asley Dying back in the day and the bands that predated Asley Dying from some of those members like um, Evelyn. And so these are all the early bands that shaped your musical career. Yeah. Christian metal bands. A lot of. Yeah. And hardcore bands. And, and a lot of hardcore bands, too. Bands like uh, very not Christian band like Throwdown. So that was like one of the first hardcore shows I ever went to was Throwdown at the Lex back in the day, and that was like one of the most insane things I'd ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> it was like you, you you went to the yeah of course you went to the Lex. We played the Lex together many many times, or no, we played it there at least once together. But I know I think at least twice probably yeah because we did the that God forbid show and the big metal and the big fest metal fest yeah two I want to say yeah 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 that's right. It's a special room for everyone that remembers the Lex. I'm sure a lot of touring bands remember the Lex. Uh, yeah, a lot of fucking. I, you know what, man? I wish they would do like 
feel like there should be uh, a documentary done about the Lex. It would be cool. I'd watch it. That's yeah. for sure. There's probably like a ton. I hope there's a ton of like video that's like floating around. Like maybe not floating around the internet, but like maybe somebody's fucking basement in like a some VHS. Yeah. I had I had handicap tape from a bunch of shows. Because like I for, like I remember when I first started going to shows, I brought a camera around a lot to him. Because like my mom had a camera, and I was just like, yeah, fuck it, you know. Like so, I started videotaping a lot of shows. Like I fuck, I videotaped like uh, the old tantrum shows and Violent Marv, like way back in the day, like uh, the the shows that they did at like Rainbow Room and shit like that. I, I videotaped a couple shows at Lex, and one of them was that Throwdown show, and uh, that was insane. It was like the place was like practically sold out, and. This is the first show you went this to. This was one of the first hardcore shows. This is probably like the first hardcore show I ever went to. Was that. And when you're there, were you like, oh my God, I'm scared? Yeah, no, definitely to a certain degree. But it was just because like that was a different culture altogether. You know, it's like that is like the, the, the hardcore scene is not the metal scene, you know. So the first time seeing hardcore dancing was something that was just fucking crazy, you know. And you know what? And I don't I, I'm probably looking at the past through rose colored glasses, but I feel like like hardcore. Like I, I obviously a lot of people like to give it shit because it looks you know, to, to, you know, when you if you look up random videos of it, it looks fucking ridiculous. But God damn it, man, when you were like 15, 16 and you're watching hard like, you know, and in a tight pit and you see people like going off like that. That's it, it's it's a fucking war zone, and you know, yeah, yeah and you gotta watch out for your you life. gotta watch out for yourself. And I feel like people did it in a more ref- like people were just better at hardcore dancing back in the day. I don't know, like they made it look better somehow, and I like I cringe when I see some kids dancing these days, but. Or uh, I, I think it's when you go to like the the core the metal core shows where you see like a lot of like it just looks worse. <laughs> and then if you go to like an actual underground like if you go to like a hardcore show like if you were to go to like the like this is hardcore fest or something like that or tsunami fest or like some of the like some of the real hardcore like shows then like I don't know it, take, it has a, it has a different energy to it I feel versus a metal show yeah well even versus like like a real. I, I use that term loosely, but like a hardcore show versus a metalcore show, okay. you know, where you see like okay. technically these kids are doing the exact same thing, but there's a very different energy about it. I find. When did the transition come? Because when I met you, you were like hardcore Paul. Yeah, but I, I, I feel like I was, but I wasn't at the same time because I feel like I. OK, here's the thing. I feel like when you met me, like I definitely had like the stretched ears back then. I think that's like fucking James is uh, naming me a hardcore Paul. Maybe, maybe that might be why. Yeah, Shout out to yeah. Big James if you're listening. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I don't know if that was done in a pejorative manner, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but at the time, but anyways, at the time it was just like it's like okay, yeah, I definitely looked more hardcorey than everybody else. But at the same time, if, like I was still I was listening to like you know under, I was listening to like Halloween and Hammerfall and like power metal, and I was listening to Origin and like so like I you know not unlike my my taste in beer my taste in music and everything was just like all literally all over the place i feel like the the during those first couple of years probably then that we were meeting the first times we met i i was definitely going to more hardcore shows because i had um i had more friends that were going to hardcore shows at the time and then when i started getting into like and, and then there was our community of like the english metal bands you know our english metal band and the big metal community quote unquote uh, that's when it was like, oh, okay. Now I started to dip more into the into metal shows because I had people to go with, you know. Like, so it was it was another social circle and more shows to go to. So like, there was like years where 
uh, like I was going to like three shows a week, you know, like I was going to like the punk, you know, like a punk show one night, a hardcore show another night and a metal show another night. And I was kind of bouncing back and forth. And and I I would also like I remember I would purposely wear like metal shirts to a hardcore show and hardcore shirts to a metal show. Like and maybe that was just my own like stuck up way to like stick out and not look like literally like everybody else necessarily but i definitely did do that to a certain degree and it was meditating you know it was pre- very premeditated <laughs> so maybe that's why i was associated with the hardcore kid because you were wearing hardcore it. shirts at the metal shows and i was the kid with the and back then you know, if you had the stretched ears you were a hardcore kid and like i was one of the only guys uh, in our community back then that did have the stretched ears. That's true. That's true. Tell me about growing up with a twin for everyone that doesn't know out there. Um, Paul I have a twin. Ha- Paul has hey, a twin. Hey, I have a twin brother. Uh, we've been, Identical twin brother. Yeah, we've been constantly battling to see who's going to be the more the more popular twin. No. <laughs> <laughs> the more famous twin. Dave, because me and Dave both got into like music around the same time and um, I, I think like, yeah, I got into a band first and then Dave joined another band called, Dave joined a band called Psychotic Four, maybe a couple of years later or something like that. And then his band took off, like his band was huge in Montreal and Quebec area for a long time because they had a significant local, local, uh, there was a local label that was pushing them and gave them, giving them, you know, they got like a lot of like, they had like through the label, they got like crazy government grants for like music videos and, you know, to do shows and shit like that. So they were getting out there and they had a music video on Music Plus, you know, which is like the much music slash MTV of Quebec. They had like heavy rotation at one point for the music video. So it was really funny growing up in, um, at, like when Dave, when Dave's band was at the the height of its popularity, I was constantly being mistaken for him. And then years later, when Blackheart started taking off, uh, everybody was mistaking Dave for me. So there was always that battle to see, like, all right. <laughs> what about like growing up before that? Did, did you like find a way to distinguish yourself from him, or was that important to you? No, not really. I mean. Um you guys never played in a band together. Dave uh, did play bass for Blackout on our last, uh, the last North American tour that we did in the end of 2013. Dave played bass with us, and that was great. I, yeah, I, really, I knew really that. Good. I had forgotten. That's true. That yeah. that was uh, just very, very proud moments of that. Like, cause like, but you know, when that was like the the, it was kind of funny how like we would we were always we were in projects, and then or we were all in our we were in our separate projects, and we never played in a band together you know and it was just like why don't we ever make a band together and like i don't know like i mean dave's band psychotic four was more cock rock and like i it's not what i wanted to do you know and i wanted to do more like death metal and melodic death metal and basically anything like heavier i mean dave does appreciate that kind of stuff that that's not necessarily the kind of music that he listens to you know as often as i do so it's like he doesn't like dave doesn't want to be in a death metal band so it's kind of like okay well where do you meet in the middle you know and like maybe sometime in the future you know like we'll we're, we'll be able to kind of like see where we sort of meet like stylistically and maybe we can come up with something or like i mean i've been the the last um the last couple months i've been playing like a shitload more guitar and like um specifically like acoustic guitar so like and um I'm, I have ideas for like a potential new project that's going to, you know, it's going to look more like a so, like a quote unquote solo project, let's say, where I'm going to be doing most of the like I'll be doing like the, the most of the writing. But I'm going to be working with I've already spoken to some people about like helping me contribute because like, listen, I'm just a stupid singer. I don't know how to I'm learning how to write songs at this point. 
So I need other people's help. And uh, I mean, I even brought it. I brought it up to Dave and I was just like, listen, you know, uh, definitely going to I would love to have him like step in and do like contribute something, you know, some guitar parts. And it's definitely going to be nice once I start getting full into like writing mode for this this project that uh, I mean, Dave's one room away. I can just be like, yo, dude, what do you think of this? And, you know, like, you know, see if uh, anything that I write, uh, you know, inspires something in him to write something. So who knows, you know, like. For, for all I know, this might be the project that like, oh, yeah, OK, we're actually this is like we, maybe it'll turn into our band, you know. So when like Psychotic 4 was at the height of its popularity, were you proud, jealous? It was no, it was so much fun because I got because, well, a um, all their like their their band, like I was good friends, like, you know, I was Dave's brother, you know, it's like, it's like I and also like the one of their other guitar players, Pat he was an old old time friend of ours that's how dave got into the band so it's like i knew and like hung out with those guys all the fucking time it was like and that this was like when we were in our early like late teens early 20s so like we were fucking raging all the time you know like this is the height of our of you know like the the teen alcoholism you know it's just like every weekend going out till three four five in the morning or whatever and like you know like drinking every weekend drugs whatever like that kind of thing so like it was fucking great you know like i wasn't i wasn't jealous i was happy because i was getting invited to all like i was getting invited to the parties too so whenever shit was going down like and i loved that like the community that uh, the music community that that psychotic four was a part of was amazing um and i loved being a part of that community and then when black art started kind of doing its thing and taking off and you know we started when we got signed and started to do tours it was it was great like introducing dave to like you know all these like the the touring bands that uh you know that we would eventually go out with and you know whenever you know the couple times that we did heavy mtl like i you know it was was awesome being able to be like hey dave here's a all-access bracelet let's fucking rage you know let's rage for the weekends you know so you're like paying it back you know paying paying it forward yeah that's it why him guitar why you vocals how did how did that work out i have no fucking idea uh no i do have an idea I, i don't know why but i know how it happened necessarily so like i was okay like i first started off uh i I remember my um my cousin jeff he used to be a guitar player and even though i never saw i never actually saw him play guitar he had an old guitar that i i i asked him for like i asked him if i could have it and he gave it to me or like gave it to me on like permanent loan or whatever i got it stringed up fixed up and by me, I mean my mom did uh, paid for it, and then I literally did nothing with it, and then like I literally didn't play it, and then Dave somehow fucking picked it up and started playing guitar. Like I, I remember being in elementary school and trying to learn acoustic guitar and just not like nothing, nothing was sinking in, you know, like like I lo- I was able to learn more acoustic guitar in one day as an adult, you know, of just like oh okay, so this is you know these are what this is called, this is fine. Then then, then sitting down and doing like weeks and months of like guitar lessons, like I remember like I think I would sit down for a lesson and immediately forget everything and then never and never ever practice, you know, like I like my mind music was the furthest thing from my mind when I was younger and you know like that only kind of took hold and shape later on in life when music was a passion. You know, when but you started taking like, guitar lessons because your parents I, I, wanted you to. No, not even. Uh, I think my my my. I think when I was younger, you know, when I you know, like we're talking elementary school, younger. My, I think my parents just like they they would be like, hey, you want to learn piano? It's like, oh, sure, I guess. It's like, okay, cool. We'll, we'll like, it's like we'll get you some piano lessons. It's like, and then you know, basically like I, whatever my fancy was, you know, just like you know, which sounds spoiled, which it kind of is. 
you know, like I was able to, you know, I was able to try some things out, you know, and uh, they, my parents were gracious enough to pay for lessons for as long as I, you know, it held my interest, which wasn't long, you know, so sometimes it was just a couple of weeks or a month or something like that. And then it was just like, nope, you know, it's like they wouldn't buy Like I never bought, like they didn't buy me a guitar, you know, they, baby grand yeah, or a baby. Grand. Actually, my parents had a baby grand before me and had nothing to do, had nothing to do with wow. me. So, yeah. So then I started playing drums when I was younger. And then, um, that was one of the first instruments that I actually like really tried to put a lot more effort in. And then, uh, but my sister was playing drums and then I started playing drums and then when I was with and then uh, in, in elementary school or in high school with Robbie and some of the guys, uh, the, the guys that would eventually make Bless My Broken Heart, they were playing. They, they started playing guitar. And then I start and then like I want then we, that, that was the point where we were like, it's like, oh, let's make a band or something like that. So then I think I started picking up bass. So I then I started taking bass lessons and I was I got OK at that. So like I basically just like I, I instrument hopped like crazy. Um, and then, so, okay. And, and then the hop to being a vocalist happened, uh, the very first rehearsal with fucking in dust was, was my first, my first real band with, uh, Chris Arsinian. And, uh, like, so my buddy, my punk bud, Kevin Glazer, who I was talking about before he went, he was going to high school with Chris Arsinian and, Kev one day was like, yo, like, Paul, you like metal. Like, my buddy Chris likes metal and he wants to make a band. Like, you know, like, give him a call. So he gave me his phone number and I called him up and I was like, hey, like, you know, I'm Paul. Like, I kind of play bass. Like, let's do this. So I went over and Chris taught me, like, the, 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 the little, like, the, the beginning riffs or whatever of, like, the very first song. And I was playing him on bass. And then I also was we had a microphone set up too. So I was kind of like trying to like scream. Uh, I was just like, Oh, I'll like, I'll, I'll practice screaming out lyrics or something like that. So then, uh, so I started screaming some shit and it sounded okay. Uh, and then I think Chris was like, like, li- he's like, listen, like you, you've got a good scream. Like, do you want to just like, do you want to play bass and scream? Or do you just want to scream? I'm like, uh, fuck it. I'll just scream, you know? And then that was it. Unbelievable. Just like that. You know? And I was, I became the singer. You never had the passion to be a singer. No, not necessarily. You know, it's kind crazy. of like, I, I kind of just fell into it and then I you know wind up sticking. You know? <laughs> it's like so it's 15, like, 16 it. years ago. Yeah. Now. There you go. Shoot. You were just amazingly right. Good freight from the start is something that you grew into. Oh, I mean, I'd like to think that I was okay. I mean, fuck man. I've never, I haven't seen any of like the footage of like my first show. So for all I know, I sounded like shit. You know, I, I, sure. seem, I seem to remember a chihuahua. Yeah. Yeah. Probably your early. I early think technique. I tried, I was trying yeah. like, uh, I, I definitely had less control than I, uh, you know, I eventually developed a lot more control in my time. Like, you know, after doing a lot more shows and, uh, being in different bands and whatnot. But, um, uh, I mean, I, I felt like I had a certain amount of aptitude to it, you know, or else I, I, I feel like people would have stopped me and would have been like, all right, you need to just stop, 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 stop doing that. Go back and play bass. Exactly. So, I mean, I, yeah, I, I feel like I was decent at it. And then, I mean, fuck, man, it got me a got me my gig with Blackguard like a couple of years later. So it's like, all right, well, listen, I couldn't have been that bad. <laughs> <laughs> Can you explain your vocal technique to me? Oh, my God. No, 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 no. Not at all. You just hold the mic. Hold the mic and just started screaming. That's it. Because, I, the, okay, so the funny thing about that is, like, I feel like like maybe I was doing it all wrong for, like, all the, like, so many years. Like, so I did, you know what, um, so funny, funny thing, I did a, I did a vocal lesson with, um, with uh, Sebastien Croteau from uh, Necrotic Mutation. 
And uh, he has a very different vocal style than I do, you know, and, and it, it was very interesting sitting down with them and um, uh, very painstakingly sort of dissecting your, your vocal cords and how you produce sound, because that's not a conversation I've necessarily had before with another screamer. And then realizing it just like, oh, what I'm doing is not what he's doing, you know, and like every, you know, like there, there are different, there are certainly different styles to doing this. Uh, and I was doing it one, let's say I was doing it one way, you know, but that one way worked for me for many, many, many years. I, I did wind up blowing my voice out on tour one time and like that kind of um, set a bad precedent after that. We're just like, I, you know, I whether it was because of uh, smoking or I don't know any number of other things I might have been doing to my voice but like I didn't I, I blew it out like at the beginning of a tour and I basically had to go through like a full tour with like a shit like a shit scream there's nothing worse than that yeah like I did it right I, I should have well uh, there's a couple things I should have done it was right before it was uh, at the beginning of uh, a it was like a two-month tour too with with fucking nevermore uh their last north american tour and um we so like i I blew it out right at the beginning and i should have just been like i'm not gonna sing for a couple of days you know like like you guys do it instrumental i don't give a shit like i should have just been like put my foot down and been like no or you know like all right no smoking you know like i like all the things that like you know, you can Google and it'll tell you in five seconds, like all the things you can't do. I'm pretty sure I did all the wrong things like right off the bat. But I, I wound up going through like an entire tour with like a very uh, compromised, vo- like very compromised vocal cords. And I should have went to a doctor as soon as I got back. And of course I didn't. But, you know, it, it, it sort of came back. But after that, like I definitely felt that um, I lose. I definitely like lo- would kind of like lose my scream a little easier than uh, than, you know, any time prior to initially blowing it out even to this day um i'm i've been very painstakingly trying to like rebuilding my vo- my voice actually i find that my my low screams now are more powerful than they've ever been and but that was uh uh, from trying to implement some of the techniques that Sebastian kind of showed, uh, show, sort of showed me. Yeah, shout out to Sebastian Carato. Uh, shout out to Sebastian Carato. Yeah, man. you're an absolute Good man, an absolute beast, a vocal beast. Yeah, in terms of like not not squeezing so much with uh, like when it comes to doing lows, uh, like specific. We're talking specifically about lows. Yeah, not squeezing so much of the vocal cords and having them more out and having it come more from your diaphragm, from your diaphragm, your gut, which is something that like like every like you know like singers i feel like a lot of singers say like oh you gotta scream from here but they don't actually know what that means necessarily because what and or it can be very confusing to somebody that uh let's say isn't as uh that 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 can't have a that, that can't wrap their head around the concept necessarily because on its surface even if you're doing it wrong quote unquote wrong you know like if you're using more of let's say you're quote unquote using your throat more uh, I mean, you're still pushing from your stomach, you know, which, you know, in your, your, your diaphragm, you're still pushing from this area and you're still using your, your, your vocal cords to manipulate the sound, to create the, the, the noise, the, the, create the sound that you want. So you're still getting a result. You're still getting a result and it's not necessarily, and it's not a bad result. So to have somebody go like, 
No, scream from your diaphragm. It's like, motherfucker, what do you think I'm doing? You know, and like, so I have this. So it's like some, like, like some, like having somebody describe exactly what you're doing, but say that what you're doing is wrong is very confusing and frustrating. But it's, and it's not like a guitarist where, where you can say, no, no, place your fingers like this. No, no, no. Pick like this. Hold it like that. It's not, it's all inside and it's all really like muscle memory and visualizations that really help you get to where you want to go. Yeah. And, and, and it took time and, uh, doing like certain exercises to be able to kind of like, uh, to piece everything together and to become more intimately familiar with the different parts of your vocal cords and like, and be able to recognize what's happening. And I've also like the last year I did, um, I, I was taking like, like singing lessons, like, you know, clean singing lessons. So with that, I was able, like with the help of, uh, uh, her name was Simone. Uh, she was able to help me identify different, like you know, doing certain exercise. Let's say some exercises and some vocal movements that I could start identifying different parts of my vocal cords and my folds and what they're doing and how what doing certain things affects them. You know, or how to have more. Let's say like just more vocal, like more uh, vocal cord control. Well, with with so Seb's a huge proponent of the uh, like the Tibetan monk singing, yeah, Gregorian, so, so the Gregorian singing. So and that's something that I've been able to do for years but i've never like put a lot of time into uh uh like it's just one of those things that like you know i would kind of fool around with every once in a while but now i'm war- I'm, I'm avidly doing it way more often and i kind of use it as a bit of a warm-up too mm-hmm. so give us one That sounds awesome, and, and it's not that far from a scream. Though. And it's not that far. It, it, it really, I can see where he's coming from. The the the, the coolest thing was when I was had when I was uh, when I was sat down with Seb and doing the lesson. Uh, like I came with my own questions too, and I kind of had like these, and I was like trying to piece these theories that I had in my head and the connection between the Gregorian singing and screaming and certain exercise that we could do. And I like so like I I. Um, I told Seb that like I was fooling around with uh, like sometimes if I'm in the jam room alone, I'll try to like go from the Gregorian scream, like the throat singing and try to very slowly manipulate your vocal cords into a scream. And he was like, yes, like, yeah, do that. Like, that's perfect. You know, so you're just kind of like smoothing out the transition between the Gregorian, like the throat singing into into, a more into harsh. the more guttural because when you're and like also when you're yeah, to the harsh and like when you're doing the Gregorian screaming, your throat is more open and you're not using it's not it's not tension. There's no tension. It's very relaxed. It's extremely relaxed when you're doing that. So if you can slowly, uh, if you can slowly bridge the, the 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 throat singing to the scream, that is a uh, uh, that's a better way to get your guttural scream out because you know you're not uh, yeah you're not like there's like we said like there's not all that tension in your vocal cords. You're not using tension to create the sound. You're, it's now coming from you know, granted, it's it's like you're using a slightly different part of the vocal, like the vocal folds, to be able to create that guttural sound. So, like, I remember, like, just like I I, I remember, like, 
like years ago if if somebody were to be like hey paul like give us a guttural scream and be like oh no no i don't yeah, yeah. i don't want to <laughs> do that and and now like i could be walking down the street and somebody could be like paul give me a guttural don't ask me to do it now but like somebody would be like hey could you give me a guttural and i i feel like i could do it a lot be- I, I could kind of do it on command with more confidence with more confidence now you know it's because when you when you would like tighten up your throat and all that there's less air that can get out that too yeah. which you know air but is I made the most w- export- important thing when it comes to death metal screaming but I made it work for yeah. years, you know, yeah. and, and I can hear and I can hear it, too, in other singers. What I can hear what they're doing, you know, it's just, so it's like there's certain singers. I'm like, oh, I know you're you're doing more this or you're doing more that, uh, you know, and you can hear it in the tone, in the timbre of their gutturals or their and their screams like what you know, what you're using, like like I, like a. Like a black, like a black metal high is way more constricting in the vocal yes, cords, yes. you know, and which is something that I like, and like I, I would use a lot of highs, and I would use more of that, uh, more of a constricted uh, vocal folds to get those kind of highs, and actually to do it, I feel like to get really high, and like the bl- to get the black metal tone, let's say, like you you won't get the same tone from having a very open like a very uh, open vocal fold like you won't be able to get as high you know no, like and it, it has to be almost like a fry scream exactly like so i feel like like corpse grinders highs are not are obviously not uh uh, uh they're not ishan's highs i feel like those two are very different you know like on like they're they're using slightly they're using their vocal cords in a different manner to get to create the same sound i definitely feel corpse grinder would be more open he's more open he's one yeah he's he's got a very open style for sure and i, I mean i don't know like maybe somebody's listening to this can who knows a shan can be like yo paul is this guy full of shit or what but <laughs> um what about simone's like warm-up things you were saying exercises oh um so she was okay so one of the things that she had taught me uh, when I was singing, you know, doing clean, clean singing, not not unlike what we were just talking about, is again keeping the vocal uh, keeping the vocal folds open and loose, you know, to and uh, not not uh, making sure you're not you don't have so much tension. So what she was, so one thing that she did, uh, so she uh, I developed. Um, she taught me uh, this way to be able to try to like to to focus like focus and be able to control the vocal cords in order to keep them open. So, uh, like let's say like you take like a like a yawn, and you can kind of feel your your vocal cords opening up. So now like take that yawn, close your mouth, but tr- like you can feel the vocal like when you take the yawn and you feel the vocal cords open. When you close your mouth again, try to keep try to like enge- keep engaging those vocal cords to keep them open. You know, keep that space, keep that space there, and then eventually like you can like just sitting here, I can. I, I can kind of open and close them a little bit, you know, like I, I've kind of developed that musculature, you know, and it, uh, it's that you, muscle memory. Yeah. So you can uh, over time, once you realize like, oh, what is what is this part? You know, like it's because it's such a weird muscle grouping because it's not like a finger, like, you know, wave your index finger like here it is. So trying to to, to be able to consciously manipulate your vocal cords is such a different thing. And, you know, you need to learn. You know, like yawning, it's just like, okay, like, you know, when you yawn, your vocal cords are going to open up now, you know, just be conscious of it, feel it, and now try to isolate it, and now 
attempt to control it, be an attempt to try to open it up and close it and whatnot and develop that kind of control. So when it comes to singing, she'd be like, Paul, remember, like, you know, remember to have, you know, you know let's just say it's called retraction. Like, you know, retract your vocal cords. It's like, okay, cool. You know, and after a little while, you know, you're able to develop that, uh, that, that muscle memory and that, um, that, that just the ability to control your, your vocal cords. And it's something that like, unless somebody showed you that, and again, not unlike going through some exercises with Sebastian and realizing that like, oh no, I can still make these noises, but you know, you just have to start tweaking certain physiological things to be able to do it better. And easier. And easier, yeah. At the end of the day, it becomes the, so much easier. Yeah. The one thing, though, about the, the, the more open is that be, because more air is escaping, I can't run around quite as much. You know, I got to be a little more conscious of uh, taking my breaths. And you can't, like, hold stuff as long. And you I, can't hold stuff as long. That's another thing. Because long, either the highs or the lows. That's it. So I feel like, um, if you know, if you warm up properly, you know, like warming up properly, cooling down properly, and... You know, expl- and exploring your your voice as best you can. You know, like if you're a screamer, explore what your vocal cords can do for you. Like, like take some time, try to find some resources, whether it's Melissa Cross or actually, you know what? Go hit up Sebastian Cotto on Facebook. You know, because he's fucking great. And uh, I like he that guy needs to come out with a DVD like like super fast because I feel like that's would take the fuck off. You know, or like we a, would, a YouTube subscription or something. YouTube YouTube videos or something like that. Um, uh, and because I actually liked sitting down and talking with them better than you know reading the Zen the Zen of screaming because I felt like the as cool as it was I didn't think it was um uh I felt like the the explanations were a little shallow in terms of like like you know like I watched the whole DVD and I'm like at the whole time I was like she doesn't really show she doesn't really explain well how you scream like how you create those noises like she she goes through a lot of uh vocal exercises and i'm sure a one-on-one is a completely different thing and i would love to sit down with her one day if ever i had like you know like 400 bucks in like an hour in new york right, or however much it is maybe it's like 200 dollars. but like, i'd love to sit down with her and go and do a vocal lesson with her that i feel like it, i would definitely uh get something out of it but the dvd for me was you know had something to be desired you know but there was a lot of great singing exercise there's a lot of great singing exercises that like you listen you'll get something out of it for sure i i use it religiously you do that warm up every time yeah. before i scream and you're one of the best i well thank you but uh, i think you're one of the best <laughs> i want to take a lesson from karato and if i would love to take a lesson from melissa but i've been using her religiously since back in the day i like, i have her i have her warm-ups on the computer and i gotta put it on my phone so i can actually uh, so i can go, go through it i feel like as i've gotten older i need to switch down to like a baritone though yeah <laughs> sometimes at the end of the end of a tour it's a bit hard to get to the top what are some of the best piece of advice which you would like to give someone that's starting out in his or her own band mm. uh okay the first bit is uh, something that a, a mutual friend of ours told me, a man named Mike Marino. Shout out to Mike. Shout out to Mike Marino over at Ibanez and uh, Three Mile X Three Mile Scream. That's X, right. Uh, fuck the the, the, X, catalyst. the catalyst. Yeah. Um, so Mike, you know, Mike has been, uh, you know, fuck. He, he's been like the. I feel like he's like the the godfather within our our community in terms of like uh, Mike's a very wise guy because his uh, his uncle is uh, Frank Marino from Mahogany Rush and he learned a lot of music. Uh, a lot of music business 
um, tips, let's say, in wisdom. He a lot of wisdom was imparted onto him in a very young age, and he had a lot of um, experience dealing with industry people uh, far younger or, or at a far younger age than a lot of us did. So, like he he imparted a lot of that wisdom onto us. And one of the coolest things, and one of the things that that he told me that stuck with me the most was, first of all, like the hard part is not getting signed it's staying signed <laughs> i i remember that yeah i remember that bit of advice i yeah. heard that before yeah and um and uh, something that i'm not gonna say i coined because nobody knows i said this i've said this to a couple of people before but when it comes to the music industry one plus one does not equal two it never does it never will so if you think having the best label with the best manager and the best booking agent is necessarily going to make you a star, you are fucking wrong. Okay, <laughs> uh, it's uh, you know there's so many more elements, and uh, I, I want to say to a degree luck. You know, and the, the, obviously the better you are, the luckier you're going to get. There, there, there's so much that goes into being quote unquote successful uh, in the music industry that um, don't make being signed and doing the tours how you would define success you know like really learn how to be happy like you know i i have a buddy who was a really uh, is an incredibly talented guitar player who kind of like gave up being in bands somewhat recently uh just because he was like that's a go like i i mean he said it's like oh i'm never gonna get famous you know it's like the industry's so fucked it's like why do i want to play it's like why do i want to play guitars and play playing bands like well like if that's your reason if your reasoning is just to get famous then you're uh, you know you're kind of doing it for the wrong reasons like you know i hope you do it because the music um is you know this is a part of you that you want to get out you know like as it fulfills your need as a human being to create you know so i would hope that anybody you know getting into like music in general um you know do do it for the right reasons you know like and if you wind up getting seeing any kind of like financial success or not even maybe not financial success because blackguard was definitely never financially successful but we did you know we we did get signed and we did do amazing tours and i met uh you know i got to tour with my heroes i'm on a first name basis with some of the people that i grew up listening to which is fucking mind-blowing to me and i've made some of the best friends through through uh, an industry that did its best to kill me but if you gauged all your success on finances, but I, but I could, yeah, but it would be that, a failure. Uh, and you know, but you don't see it as one but because I, it's, I, I can't. That's it. I can't see it as a failure. You know, it's like I still got to do more in my. Uh, I mean, we were like touring for like six years or something like that. I mean, and we were a band. You know, like a good fuck uh, eight years before that or a decade before that. Um, so I mean, it was a long road and. Um, you know, when it picked up, it picked up uh, and, and granted it, it wasn't fruitful in regard to us having, um, you know, like a, a, a prolonged, quote unquote, like, you know, professional career. But that's fine. You know, it's like I appreciate everything it gave me um, and I try not to resent it for what it took away. <laughs> <laughs> that's very mature of you to yeah. look at it that and way. I, I don't want, yeah, that's it. I don't want to resent it for what it take, what it took away because, you know, like you, you, you need to look at it. Um, you know, I mean, if, if I were to resent the music industry for, I don't know, my lack of formal education, you know, it's like, I, I could say like, Oh my God, all those years I could have went to college and I, you know, I, I'd be in a better job situation or this, that, or the other thing, you know, it's like, I, I, that that would just eat you up and it would eat me up. So it's like, there's no point in thinking of it in those terms because 
Uh, it gave me memories and friends that I would never trade for a million years. And I even think like when I like, because I mean, Blackguard was kind of known as a band that toured way too much, which you know is very accurate. And we did. Yeah, we, you guys were road dogs. Oh, uh, we, sure. we were road dogs. We had uh, we had a we were very lucky to have a booking agent and a manager who didn't give a fuck about us as a band and just wanted to make money off of us. <laughs> so, and we were we were the band that never said when we didn't say no when the opportunities you know came our way because they were always cool opportunities with cool bands. So it was kind of like, well, do we? Why say no to this Nevermore tour? You know, it's like, oh my god, you know, and le- that was one of the hands down one of the worst tours uh, and like financially ever. But Jesus Christ, man, we made friends. You know, like the friendships that we that uh, that we made on that tour last like last to this day. You know, and uh, yeah, they're like fucking, an iconic band, you know? and they were an icon. Yeah, they were, uh, still they are. were, and still are an iconic band. And uh, World Dane, rest in peace, man. Like I, you know. It was great seeing him every like the the few times I got to see him after we toured with them, and like, he came out to a couple shows in Seattle when we were there, and uh, you know like I love that guy to death, and I you know I got to talk to him a couple you know talk to him from time to time online, even like Jeff Loomis and all these dudes that have like the like some of those guys are lifers, man, still going on, still doing their music thing, and uh, you know like the, the 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 memories and the friendships from that awful awful tour <laughs> that on paper we sh- never should have done you know retrospective like when you look at it from a, a retrospectively it's just like well you know what it's fine you still saw you still got some successes out of it yeah. because you're looking at it maturely yeah yeah that's it i mean it's like why well, I, I wouldn't trade those memories what i yeah i don't want that's it i don't want to trade those memories for anything what is your like your one misstep that you've taken musically career in your Touring musical career okay that you wish you could take back. oh dude i wish um yeah, I wish I could. Uh, I wish we had said no. Uh, okay, so I don't know if this necessarily directly contradicts everything that I just said about not like I. I don't regret it because it already happened. But had I, if I could, you know, um, if I if I could take Maurizio from Cataclysm's advice, who was our first manager was like he was very big about being taking it easy on the touring and like not burning out uh your your audience so that was one piece of advice that i really 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 wish that i uh that you know we 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 took more to heart and we implemented a lot more because i mean at the time like i mean you every decision you make when it comes to being in a band you do it you know with the best everything everything happens you do everything with the best intentions you know so we toured as much as we did thinking that okay, like every tour that we were doing was going to be uh, kind of like a different audience. So we just kept thinking we were getting in front of new, like new people and new faces. And we kept saying like, okay, well, we'll do this. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll tour our fucking asses off and then we'll stop. You know, we'll take a break, you know, pull out a new record and then we'll start doing more like uh, more conservative touring schedule. You know, but then unfortunately, sort of like by the time like we had tried to start implementing that, it was like it was almost too late. You know, like our the you know the the, the our own fan base that we had started to accumulate already start getting like you know was already bored of us because they'd seen us like six times in like two years, and so like you know like next thing you know like you're you're going on tour and you're not selling any merch because everybody already has it nobody gives a shit anymore so it's just like and you're touring the same music you know we didn't we didn't get the record we, we didn't get a new record out as fast as we should have you know, like all this that and the other things so it was just like basically like yeah like touring 
fuck man i really wish we had done like a, like a third of the tours or like me or half or a third of the tours that we had done you know so it's like the burning out of the name and it was like a burnout for the members as well the members the crowd like everybody like right across the board i mean for me too it's like you know what when we when we did our um when blackguard did our tour with uh with with Fintral, the last one i i kind of i felt that when we when we got like when we did it it was like this is a chore we don't want to be here right now you know we we did it because a, it was like a Finchroll tour and we were all kind of like super stoked to do it um you know fin- Finchroll like us and Finchroll kind of have like a or Finchroll have a very are, are sort of like a symbolically significant band to us just because like they were like one of the they we opened for them at medley uh, you know, prior to being signed, you know, like we were like the local band and that kind of like helped launch us in Montreal and Quebec. So, and, and you know, we, we've become buds with them, you know, and we, so it's kind of like, all right, like if we finally get to tour with, with Finchel. And I kind of thought it was fitting going into that tour. I'm like, if this is the last tour, it'll be so funny that it sort of ends where it began. <laughs> did, did, did you feel you knew it was going to yeah. be the last tour? Yeah. It was like said in the band or it was just Well, with that being said, I don't know, wink, wink, if it's going to be like the last, you know, I don't know if it's going to be the last, but. <laughs> for the, for, um, before, for, the hiatus, for, for, before the hiatus. Before the hiatus. Before the hiatus. I, I felt that like this very well could be. I mean, for all I know, it could be like the last like tour tour, you know, the last shows. No, we did do shows after that. We did two. We did two Ontario shows like a year later, and then we just, and then we really didn't do fuck all. Uh, but yeah, I kind of felt that like that was it. You know, like I, I could see it in everybody's eyes and like how everybody just like just everybody's demeanor and you know we 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 did it and. I, I felt like a lot of us just wanted to be home, you know, like, uh, I, I mean that year we only did, that was like a slow year for us touring wise. I think we did like a soil work tour and then we did that one. So we'd actually like spent a lot of time at home and we were kind of, I, well in my, in the back of my head, um, and I, I might've voiced it too, to the, to the rest of the band, but I was kind of like, uh, I felt that if, if that tour was a success, then I could, you know, it would have renewed everybody's spirits and it really wasn't like we were really seeing the fallout from, you know, the years of over touring, you know, and, and just that like we, we hadn't quite, we hadn't amassed like the fan base that we wanted to. And we thought that like, Oh, the Finchel, we like, we went into that tour going like, this is on paper, like the most perfect tour we could do aside from like a children of Bodom, you know, if this doesn't work, what the fuck are we doing you know kind of thing you know and and granted that tour could have worked had we maybe not done you know a ton of other tours prior to that like if we went into that tour with like a new record and we hadn't done a tour in like eight or nine months you know and we hadn't done you know like five tours randomly wiped them off of our history like and not burnt out our audience like that could have been a very 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 different tour but as it stood you know, uh, you know, everything we had done the last couple of years, not being on, we were supposed to have a new record on that fucking tour too, which didn't end up happening. Um, and, and then like, yeah, we did it and we, we were direct support and, uh, Metzitol, uh, from Estonia was, uh, they were on the tour too. Uh, they, 
got browbeat to being the, the 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 opener for the tour and we were the direct support but they were wiping the floor with us every fucking night like no like people did not give a shit about us performance wise like in the crowd or just merchandise yeah, you know, well everything across the board i mean metzatol too had never been to north america so they were fresh you know like people were fucking stoked for them and like they were like in terms of folk metal they were very they're a very unique band too and like uh they, they put on a great live show so you know yeah, man, people were like eating their shit up, you know, like they were a great band. People were loving the show, buying their merch. People weren't buying our merch, didn't care about us. And uh, it was, you know, it just left like this super sour taste in everybody's mouth. Just kind of like, what the fuck are we doing? Did you guys as a band like feel trapped by the booking agent you mentioned? Uh, yeah, but we definitely by by the end of uh, by that last year, we had definitely grown balls and started saying no actually funny enough like we got we were announced we were con- we were confirmed and announced on a tour that we never said yes to okay that's that's sketchy yeah yeah yeah. you know like while while, while there was like a quote-unquote negotiation for the tour going on i kept saying like it's like hey listen give it like and i said like it's like it's like hey well you know the agent's like yo we got this tour and I'm like, well, you give me the numbers, you know, like, like how much we're getting paid, you know, like give me some numbers and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. And then every time the conversation would come up, it was always getting like the numbers were always getting skirted around. Like, you know, like there was never any figures that were being talked about in terms of like, cause like, I didn't want to go out for like 200 bucks, you know, like, and I wasn't, I, I you know, I, at that point I was already fed up with fucking touring that was just like, you know, fuck this shit. Like, I'm not, six people in the band too. Five. We were five. You know, but also at that point, I think we were trying to hire a driver just to make it easy on everybody. Cause it was, you know, that was tough too, is being, is, uh, is doing like some of the guys doing all the driving too, because there was only a couple people that had driver's license. So like, yeah, we got like, there was like a, we were confirmed on a tour and I had to like, you know, and people were tagging me and shit. And I had to go like, no, we are not on this tour. Like this is not happening. And I gave my booking agent shit for it. I was just like, what the fuck, dude? Like we had never said yes to this. Like you never gave me the numbers. So it's like, no, we're not doing that. Like we're not going out. We're not doing that tour. And that was it, you know? And like, I wish we had done that. <laughs> I wish we had said that like three, three years tours, three tours earlier. Yeah. I have a pitch for you. If I had a lot of money, I'd make it happen. We can, we can, you know, think of, uh, some uh, ideas to make this a reality. I think that you are a very gifted speaker, and I've mentioned it to you before. You should have your own podcast. And in my mind, it should be this. Okay. A band shows up at a venue. They like to work out. Normally, they have like their TM find them a local gym somewhere that's 24 hours that they can get to and do their workout either before or after their set. My mindset is this. You somehow show up there with a trailer with a full gym in it, and you, you know, the, the person works out and you do like a video podcast alongside them. You train beside them and you like interview them at the same time. I feel like that could totally work out too. It could totally work out because there's everybody, like every, everybody was trying to stay healthier. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> the more, the more, you know, like the, everyone wants to get to the gym. Everybody's annoying in certain cities, you know, and it's just up to like to get an extra like two, three parking spots. The promoter could like work it, work it out here. I think it could work. Man, that, that, that's not a bad idea at all. Shoot. Okay. So but like funny story. Well, um, a couple of weeks ago, I went down to Ottawa to go see Otep play. And um, so like Blackheart did a tour with Otep. Um, you know, I think it was almost like eight years ago or something like that. It was like two, yeah, it was like 2010 or 2011 or something like that. But the that was like the year that I really like 
got super serious into exercising and like granted like I, I had already been working out and whatnot prior to that but um their guitar player ari who at the time had like just joined the band like fairly recently he was like a legitimate bodybuilder you know like and uh so like he brought like a ton of weight he brought all like a ton of weights with him on tour uh, like all these kettlebells and stuff like that so me and him like and he's also one of the nicest guys on the fucking planet. Like, he's one of the greatest dudes you're ever going to want to meet on the road. And me and him started, like, training, like, every fucking day together. So when I went to go see him in Ottawa, sure shit, he had, like, a full... He had a bench with a full, like, Olympic bar with, like, 500 pounds worth of weights on him. Oh, man. And we were just, like... <laughs> we were... Like, the bus was parked, like, in this, like, mall... This mall parking lot. And we were just, like, in a corner, like, deadlifting. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is why I think this could work. Yeah, it, it definitely could, man. Holy shit. I've seen, like, this thing near my house. It's like more of a CrossFit thing, though. And the guy's got, like, a trailer. And he, like, sets it up there. And I think people come and do workouts with him in the park i don't know who the dude is it'd be so interesting that's to smart find. man that's a cool way to keep your overheads low it's like why have a gym when you can just like have a trailer with a bunch of weights that you've been accumulating over the last couple of years you know i'm gonna pull a bar and uh, keep it yeah that's it but you could and you could totally 100 make that work yeah <laughs> that's my pitch to you fuck man we'll talk about percentages later okay okay <laughs> Give some residuals i remember i remember seeing um fuck was it when when uh Doyle was touring with Danzig for the first time at the, the Blacks of the Black tour. This is like, I don't know, like 10 years ago or something like that. I remember walking behind the trailer and seeing like the full fucking Doyle bench, you know, in there with all his weights going like, holy fuck, this guy is serious. That's commitment on the trailer. You know, you got to get an, a, an extra big trailer to, to haul all this shit. Yeah. That's amazing. Like, hey, Glenn, by the way, I'm bringing my full kit, you know. It's amazing. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm sure Glenn's like, I don't care. Like, fucking do whatever, do whatever the hell you want. <laughs> Actually, if anything, it's just like, yeah, man, I need you to like Doyle. I need you to look as good as that all the fucking time. He sort of has to at this point. Yeah, yeah exactly. Can't put a shirt on at this point. Dude, how? But that's just it. How fucked up with that? Be? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, like he could. Like, he, I think he could get away with starting to wear a T-shirt, but he, there's only so doughy you can get, you know. <laughs> but that's it. It's like at that point, it's like you've painted yourself into a corner. Like you are like the fittest guy in dare I say music you know <laughs> like I'm there's, trying there's to think not many of, others I'm trying to think of like okay who's another musician that's like has a, a, as chiseled a physique you know and and he's 60 exactly you know like Jesus like, like, exactly. if you were to, like just say, let's just, like grab photos of him over the last like 30 years of like how great shape uh, great shape he's been in and the fact that he's still as old as he is and as great a shape as he is like yeah okay like he doesn't have quite as much muscle mass anymore but like fuck who cares man the guy's still jacked as shit yeah, look, look at all the other 60 year olds out there yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> fucked up man you mentioned before the english metal scene do you feel like growing up and playing in montreal that there was a division between the french and the english metal scene yeah yeah, yeah definitely i mean we had our we had our community um which was great and then um Cause you sort That's of, it you because sort of like I mean, G, like sorry, because like you, you know, like Endass would be a part of the English yeah metal it. community in my mind, and then Blackheart was more. Oh yeah, Blackheart was in the French community. That's, That's it. Because so like when Blackheart was called Prefugus Mortis prior to being called Blackheart, um, I mean, I joined into that band by accident. Well, not by accident. So, um, so the 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 funny story about how I joined Blackheart was. Uh, I was in my, there was like a, a, a band that I was in in between and dust and 
Perfugus Mortis at Blackguard, uh, and we were rehearsing like two doors down from the Met Cité de Mille, and we were on break, and I walked by their room, and I had just seen them live the week before opening for Blinded by Faith and Unexpected at Foots. So I knew that they jammed there, and I heard, so I heard them jamming, and I just knocked on the door, and I was just like, and, you know, one of the guys opened up and I was just like, hey, like, you know, I um, just wanted to say, like, I saw you guys play last week and it was fucking fantastic. And the guy, I think it was Terry. And he was just like, oh, thanks. Uh, do you know a singer? <laughs> I'm just like, I'm a singer. We're like, why? He's just like, well, uh, that was our last show with our singer and we were looking for a new one. I'm like, fuck it, man. I'll come in. So I literally just walked in. They played a song and I gibberished my way, you know, scream gibberished my way through through a song of theirs. And th- what they told me, you know, like after the fact, you know, like, the, like apparently when I left, they were like, oh, my God, that was fucking perfect. You know, so like that that's I that's how I got that. Gig. That's so, <laughs> but, so funny. But, uh, you know, go uh, sort of going back to like the the, uh, the the theme of this topic in terms of the division between the English and the French uh, scenes is that like uh, I mean I wasn't friends with any of them I wasn't friends with any of their friends because they were very much part of the French the, the, the French scene beforehand you know beforehand exactly like so uh, I mean listen like if you're if you're an English guy you just naturally hang out with more English people you know like your English school or whatnot and like so like I mean just just geographically we live in different parts of the city so yeah we might see each other at show you know might be in the same building at some shows but it doesn't mean we're, we're like we're not running in the same social circles so I would have no reason to necessarily run into these cats except for this chance meeting you know of walking in you know like walking onto their into their jam and you know wishing them a uh, you know, saying that they had a good show, so like that's how I infiltrated the French scene <laughs> was just being a nice guy and wishing them, uh, you know, trying to wish them a happy career, and then it went, and then it landed me a job. <laughs> it's sort of around the world. Silly, <laughs> silly to me that there's this like segregation between the two scenes when there's not, good. Yeah, not so much anymore. Uh, I find, anyways, but definitely before. But I, but I also, you know, like I mean, you you could think of it. Maybe it was like a, uh, you could consider it. Maybe it was like somewhat self-imposed in the sense that, like, you know, we had our community. Like, so we the like we were like a bunch of English bands that kind of got together and sort of popped up, and. But we were all like, okay, so it was just buds and buds of buds who made bands that were having problems finding shows. So we just kind of made this faux community, this this makeshift community of like eight band, you know, eight bands maybe. Yeah, we, and we started booking our own shows, and we started booking our own shows. So I mean, there was nothing, and like, yeah, there was like the the, the promoters that were handling more of the French bands, and like we, I don't think we ever really reached out to them to try to get us on their gigs necessarily. We just made our own gig. Maybe Sapphire was more around by the French scene. I feel like when we played, yeah, them. no, Sapphire was definitely uh, there was a lot of well because there was. Um, Ostrogoth? Yeah, okay, there was Ostrogoth. So DJ Ostrogoth was putting on shows. So he booked mostly French bands, but that was because, like, those were the bands he knew. He would have, like, there's no reason why we would be on his radar necessarily. Because he didn't even know we existed. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, and gradually over time, okay, you know, you start to see, like, posters and the stickers around, and, you know, you. You know, we all wound up at the same bars at one point or another. We ended so up like, playing with the, you know, Mines and. Yeah, exactly. What became Mythosis. And, which became. 
crypto <laughs> donaldson we, we, the donaldson we, effect yeah. we weaseled our way into crypto yeah, yeah that's it <laughs> so th- that's it over over time everybody kind of like weaseled their way into other different bands and uh maybe it just comes with like maturity that too i mean because like we listen yeah we were young and like you have your you have your social circles and then gradually those you know hopefully those expand over time you know like the more you're going like yeah you're when you get in your 20s and you keep going to the same shows you wind up you know making new friends and whatnot and some of the lifer bandmates you know people that have moved on to newer projects that in an older age you know there's fewer and fewer people from your old circle that you know a you would like to play with because you've maybe you've like musically outgrown them so you end up teaming up with people from the other scene maybe maybe that's where it comes from i mean i i remember that when i you know was when i first got into profugus mortis and then i started like hanging out with them you know i was definitely the english guy you know and uh, my my french wasn't nearly as good as it uh, as it would later become and a lot of their english wasn't that great either but we you know we met somewhere in the middle which is how everybody grows uh but i you know like i started meeting a shit ton more people just through through that band because that was now you know i was connected now we were rehearsing with uh, our jam room was with unexpected so now we be, so now i became friends with them who and they would you know later go on and tour north america and they became a big deal and like meeting eric galley of galley records which was a big deal which is a really big deal in in canada for a long time uh, like they put out like galley put out like the first uh, despised icon and uh, i think some ion distance stuff too like a, like a lot the of ma- beneath the massacre beneath the massacre and probably unexpected too and blinded by fate like you know a lot of like the significant canadian underground bands was all like i mean the like galley was the gatekeeper for and a shout lot out of that. to galley he still books canada yep shout out to the fucking air galley man that guy that guy grinded and uh fuck man I, I I was doing an interview last week with uh, Metal Injection talking about the Montreal scene, and I I, I hope I mentioned Galley because Galley was definitely an extremely significant uh, played a significant role in the Montreal scene. It's like a, a father founder. Yeah, getting getting all these bands out into the world. Oh, I mean, and like he, you know, like the, the, he was taking out ads in Brave Words Blade Knuckles magazine when that was in, you know, that was a. Uh, nationwide distributed uh, nationwide fucking worldwide you know that was distributed anywhere everywhere and galley had fucking ads in there so like man you're you were getting you know you were getting viewed all over the fucking place back when people gave a shit about magazines you know like so it's almost just like us you know just staying in that english community was almost like constraining us our growth almost. yeah that's it it was somewhat self self-imposed because like we we definitely got into like a groove of playing with our little group of bands uh but also like we didn't fit with a lot of the other bands either like stylistically we didn't fit with a lot of them do you think they were more extreme yes absolutely we weren't we weren't death metal no. none of us were no. death metal bands and like yo like the early 2000s was and forever it's like dude like this is a death metal fucking city you know like uh, that was like the heyday of naraxis and Quovatis and cryptopsy. Uh, cryptopsy and everybody and cataclysm the whole nine uh but like that was like the beginning of the explosion of like the technical of the 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 death core and the technical death scene in montreal so like we didn't fit with any of those motherfuckers like you know like well, there's no there wasn't no reason we would have played those shows anyways i don't know? know why 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 did you think that happened why why were we so out of less like out of place it was just a circle a social circle we were just like more influenced from america 
Because, you know, I know, yeah, I, I know for degree, myself. Yeah, for, to for, a certain degree, yeah. For Three Mile. Three we Mile, definitely. Heavily yeah. influenced by, like, you know, Kill Switch Engage, Shadows Fall. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah, we were on the lighter side. And, like, the, but, like, it was very, you know, I'm, I almost want to say it's, like, it's very French-Canadian to be into, like, the most brutal death metal scene. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, like, it's like the, the normal stepping stone for music for most people is, like, oh, well, like, first you might listen to some Metallica, and then you start gradually getting heavier. And I feel like for an entire generation of kids growing up in Montreal, like, the older brothers were immediately force-feeding Gorguts and Cryptopsy and Cataclysm you know, uh, and Cannibal Corpse and Suffocation, you know, like, I, I feel like, like, kids were picking up guitar players and trying to learn Suffo right away, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah. there was no stairway or learning Smells Like Teen Spirit, Spirit first, it was Funeral Inception or like, <laughs> or, or, or Despise the Sun or whatever, just like, it was right off the bat, it appears from within, it was just like, right off the bat, it was, you're learning the most brutal shit, that's how we... That's how we we managed to like breed some of the most insane fucking musicians. Is that like, yeah, man? When you were kids, like you were exposed to, like, you know, for for most of Montreal and Quebec, I feel like they were exposed to just the most extreme shit right from the get go. There was no stepping stone. It was nope. Here's the most technical, ridiculous shit you can possibly play. Start learning. <laughs> it sounds like a big part of it too is from like Steph Melil. Oh yeah, 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 big time. Who BCI. Used to book at the medley, brought in all these amazing, you know, like death metal tours. So maybe a lot of the, the French scene was like growing up there as well, you know? Well, that too. Like, funny you mentioned that because that's where um, I feel like that's where I also, well, me and everybody else, it's like that, those were focal points. Of, those are obviously focal points of the scene. This is where you got to know the other music, the other local musicians was like a checking out the local bands whenever they were, you know, whenever Steph was putting on a local. But everybody was going to those shows every all the time. Like, I remember going to the BCI shows and going like, oh, that's that guy. Dude, I like the first time I ever met Flo was at it was at Medley. I forget what show it was exactly. But like I met Flo at medley through like mitch lafon or something actually oh god this was fucking hilarious so i was telling you about uh like i had a band for like like five months that was between and dust and between perfugus mortis and it was called take their lives we did like three shows it was like proto death black and death core kind of thing uh and we we did a show and simon from the agonist booked it I think at, at, uh, Alize. like he, this is like his band before, like his band before the agonist that he was playing guitar in. I forget what they were fucking called, but like, so we did a show and this was like maybe a week after that, uh, this show at medley. And I was like, I got into the medley before, uh, like the, the rest of the crowd and I was talking with somebody and then Flo was there and I was just like, Oh, it's like, and I got somebody, uh, I think it was like Mitch LaFone from brave words. Do you know Mitch? No, no, okay. no. Uh, he's writer for Brave Words, Blade Knuckles back in the day. And uh, now he does like a, he does his own podcast, which is getting like really stinking popular. Uh, but I think Mitch introduced me or somebody introduced me and was like, oh, it's like, oh, this is like Flo from Crimson. I'm like, oh, cool, Flo. Like, like, really nice to meet you. And then like just like people started to come in. And I remember there was like, like within like a minute, like there was like a kid that came up and was like, oh, it's like, hey, you're Paul from Take Their Like That, Take Their Lives, and like introduced me and like didn't talk to Flo at all. And I was just kind of like, ah. <laughs> uh, I just had a little internal laugh. Like that was like, you know, being a little shit kid in the scene with no significant band. It's kind of funny. Like, you know, the situation was kind of funny. Take that, Mounier. Yeah. <laughs> and your three albums, <laughs> four albums. 
so yeah so that was funny well thanks for meeting with me here at your house oh, <laughs> fucking come by anytime it was a pleasure to have you on vox and hops i'm out of questions oh, okay well you know what next time let's uh we'll, let, we'll freestyle it <laughs> no questions just just shoot the just shit. shoot let's sh- just shit shooting <laughs> all the best Paul. yeah dude thanks a lot for having me on this man this is great Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to episode number five of Vox and Hops. Such a great conversation with Paul. I love sitting down with him. I sincerely believe that he should have his own podcast. He always has just so much to say. He's so passionate about everything that he does. He is just the coolest person to hang with. So much fun. So many little surprising things. The whole discovering, you know, metal in a Christian youth group. Who the fuck would think that's a possibility? I'm stoked, uh, and I hope that you all check out uh, his new band, Ages, which will be coming out soon. Keep your eyes and ears peeled for that, and I will most likely share it on the Vox and Hops page. Uh, as always, if any of you have any questions, comments, recommendations of who I should interview, what beers we should be tasting, and I should be sharing with my guests, give me a shot at matt at voxandhops.com, and I will be more than glad to read anything that you send me. Next on Vox and Hops episode 6, I sit down with the ex-Cryptopsy member, Yuri Remo. Yuri is one of the most intense people that I know. He is the most authentic and genuine people that I know, and I have an excellent, excellent conversation about him. He just recently got out of prison, so we touched that, and we talked about uh, you know his time in Cryptopsy, what happened during that time, the influences that he brought to me as a vocalist, so uh, check all that out on the next episode of Vox and Hops. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effie Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Oh.